Welcome to the Fun to Know podcast with Dan Buskirk. On today's show, Arizona filmmaker Rob Burson. It was very collaborative, like this definitely, I mean, I went in <laughs> originally kind of going in, like I'm an auteur going to be shooting this, nah, that, that got, you know, killed right away. That was, this was going to be collaborative and it had to be, I, the people around me had too much knowledge that, you know, I'm such a late starter with this stuff. I was winging a lot of it. And so the crew, they you know, the crew, they all knew how to, to fill in and make things happen that I was visualizing but had no idea how to make happen myself so that was nice welcome back to the fun to know podcast with dan buskirk here we interview writers artists and musicians about their lives and work you can find out about past episodes through itunes stitcher and soundcloud.com and at our facebook page under fun to know podcast always with the numeral two you can reach out there or at Podcast at gmail.com. Check out our past conversations with recent MacArthur Genius Grant winner Tamika Reed, the recently departed trumpeter Jamie Branch, comedian Greg Proops, filmmaker Sean Baker, and dozens of others. And it's that interview I conducted with director Sean Baker about three years ago that planted the seeds for today's episode, which is the long-delayed 50th episode of the Fun to Know podcast. It was three years ago that Rob Burson was in preparation for his debut film, Hell of a Heartache, when he stumbled across the Fun to Know interview with Sean Baker, whose films Prince of Broadway and The Florida Project were inspirational examples of vivid, compelling character studies made on a strict budget. Rob friended me on Facebook after hearing the interview, and we would occasionally discuss film online while I was vaguely aware that he was shooting a modestly budget feature with a small crew near his home in Arizona. Then time passed, and almost a year ago, just before Christmas, Rob asked me if I would take a look at his feature, humbly asking me to keep my expectations low. Knowing the difficulties of uh, such a limited budget, I was prepared to look at the film with a forgiving eye, but was instead a bit dumbstruck at the captivating, sure-footed telling of the washed-up country star Bobby Thompson and his unexpected saddling with a 13-year-old girl who may be his daughter. Why the story of this pair's relationship is humorous and engaging enough to sustain the film, A Hell of a Heartache also reverberates with other ideas and themes, including modern masculinity and the lingering effects of violence against women throughout our society. Sharing the film with friends and family, I'd become convinced Hell of a Heartache is a little miracle of a film, a masterful and very affecting work that somehow... Uh, seemed to arrive out of nowhere, with Burston not only writing and directing with great feeling and subtlety, but delivering a performance any seasoned actor would be proud of. Yet, Burston hadn't acted since high school, and his turn to filmmaking didn't come until he was in his late 40s. We'll unravel just how this film got made in our interview, but I should first mention that all this led to an upcoming East Coast premiere of Hell of a Heartache, on Thursday, December 8th at the Rotunda on the 40th block of Walnut Street in Philadelphia as part of the Bright Bulb Screening Series, which uh, provides free screenings every second Thursday of the month. Not only will we see Hell of a Heartache currently unavailable through your favorite streaming service, but it will be followed by a Q&A with Rob Burson on his first trip to the East Coast. 
The screening is free and included as a second feature from Australian director Gillian Armstrong, the director of My Brilliant Career and Starstruck. We'll be seeing her nearly lost 1987 featured High Tide, which also stars Judy Davis and tells the tale of a performer reuniting with her abandoned daughter. It's all happening December 8th at the Rotunda in Philly at 8 p.m. Would be delighted if you could join us. More information can be found at the Bright Bulb Screening Series Facebook page uh, over at Facebook. I hope that you can come out and join us and welcome Rob to Philadelphia. Let's head into that interview recorded the day before Thanksgiving as Rob tells an inspirational tale of how one determined guy made a masterpiece out of almost nothing. Uh, let's hear a clip from Hell of a Heartache as Robbie Thompson tries to return the young girl left on his doorstep to someone, anyone who might know her, and then we'll we'll head right into the interview. Yeah? You know this kid? Yeah. Her mom dumps that little shit here all the time. You know, I caught her stealing from me once. $20 from my purse. Hmm. How about you take her now? No, she's your problem now. That's right, you're his problem now, little shit. Brat. My mom doesn't even like you. Nobody does. Well, you got everybody just begging to get rid of you. Fuck you. Hey. Oh, yeah? Well, fuck you, your piece of shit mom, and this burned-out piece of cowboy here, too. Whoa, 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 whoa. Just take it easy, guys, okay? Eat a dick. Hey, cut that shit, all right? Look. Okay, so you can't take her? Fine, just tell me where her mom is so I can get this handled, all right? Because I can't take care of a kid, all right? Come on, darling. Why don't you ask that little miserable toilet baby of hers? What did you, don't say that. What did you call her? What did you call, what? What did I you say? I said, fuck off. All right. How about that? Okay. Now get yeah. off my property all right. before I call the cops. All right, we're going, let's get, come on, let's go. And don't come Thank back. You. All right. You have a good day, ma'am. Don't come back again. All right. You sure got away with people, kid. Maybe you are mine. Hey, Billy, heartbreak. Hell of a heartache. A woman left me here in a sad state. I'm opening up a bottle and waiting by the telephone. Come back home Hey Billy Heartbreak My cowgirl ran away And left me all alone And here we are on the uh, reinvigorated Fun to Know podcast And uh, the reason I I pulled this this podcast out of slumber Was because there was a guest I I really wanted to interview And that is a... uh, a filmmaker from out of Arizona by the name of Rob Burson. And uh, I was so enthralled by his uh, debut, uh, a real come from uh, nowhere, uh, kind of miracle of a film called uh, Hell of a Heartache that he made, uh, I think, just before uh, quarantine times in Arizona, you know, tying him into the, uh, the the history of regional filmmaking. But it's just such a, a darn accomplished film that I, I, uh, I wanted to know exactly how this was made. My, my first instinct was that uh, Rob was a seasoned hand in the uh, film industry and had been working long and hard to uh, put together such a, uh, such a sensitive, beautiful uh, show 
piece. But no, Rob uh, sort of came into this uh, in, in midlife and went on this quest. And I'm, I'm sort of curious about the journey that brought you to making this film, Rob. So uh, welcome to the Fun to Know podcast with my uh, rambling here. Thanks so much, Dan. I'm really honored to be here, actually. I, um, I'm glad uh, you brought the show back. Um, <laughs> and I enjoy talking film with you. It's been a fun. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So um, this uh, there's I feel like there's, a, you know, kind of like Jesus. There's the lost years of Rob Burson. Uh, <laughs> the, what were you doing all these years? What was your relationship to, to film as you, uh, uh, you know, uh, a young man <laughs> and, and, and pursuing other things in life? But uh, where did film rest with you during those years? Well, I mean, it all started with my dad taking me to see um movies when i was about five years old movies like you know deliverance godfather mash like just you know nice easygoing movies like that but um he he took me to a lot of movies at a young age i was very interested in them and i think he couldn't he was a student i don't think he could afford a babysitter so he would just kind of take me with him to these these adult movies well not that kind of adult movie, but adult movies that were really, you know, interesting to me. And sometimes I get a little bored, but I was seeing that stuff really early. For a lot of people, and, and you know, maybe a product of our age, uh, right? One of the most exciting eras of of uh, popular film in the United States. Yeah, definitely. And as a young as a young man watching that film, it was interesting how often I was uh, willing to throw myself into these very adult worlds. Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It was it was pretty cool. I mean, I. I the exposure was great. I, I don't, I don't think it scarred me in any way. Maybe Tommy did a little bit, um, but not any more than like Bambi, you know, Bambi was pretty rough on me. <laughs> um, so yeah, but that was sort of the introduction. And then um, eventually star Wars came along and just at that time it blew my mind. And there were these books that came out that were the storyboards. And there was a lot with star Wars that was showing you how that it was made it was all you know storyboards and they actually released the script as a book and so it was like my first opportunity to sort of dive in and just look and really dig into how a film is made because star wars was sharing all of that information that was it and then you know i went off to college to become an artist like a painter and ended up dropping out of art school and then having to work and eventually getting married having kids you know just sort of enjoying movies casually and then once um I divorced. I went right to film school. <laughs> it was like opened up an opportunity right then. So, yeah. What, what sort of work were you pursuing in, in, in the uh, in the Burson lost years? Um, I was a bartender. I was a train engineer. I have been a nine one one dispatcher. I have actually been a cop, and I was a firefighter. <laughs> <laughs> So I was I was working to uh, you know pay the bills and raise a family and be a supportive husband. Wow! But see, this I do feel I'm glad I asked this question because there's uh, the the film a uh, hell of a heartache, even though it's it really works beautifully as a sort of character study and a story of the relationship between uh, the, this country singer and uh, the young woman who may be his daughter. But it's it's really a snapshot of that whole community. Mm -hmm. And uh, it really, um, you know, like Shakespeare, it has an understanding of people all throughout this community, uh, through a wide range of people. And and hearing the jobs you did, you know, it, it seems like, oh, those are really uh, 
you know, films or uh, jobs where you do have heavy contact with other people. And uh, I yeah. think a certain knowledge you uh, probably acquired in all these years. Thanks. Yeah, it was definitely a kind of a working class, you know, go to work, work your nine to five or grab your hard hat and go to work kind of career for me with doing that kind of thing. So, yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. that's not to, to bag on, on, on Spielberg, but uh, you wonder somebody <laughs> like that who was a, you know, Wunderkind at, at 17 and then has mm-hmm. lived the rest of his life on, on, on movie lots, like, you know, how uh, in touch is he when he, when he does films right. class people, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. It was, uh, those were definitely interesting experiences, which I drew upon. And I know that the movie itself is, it's kind of about the working class. It's, um, uh, Bobby Thompson is actually probably a level below that in that sense. He's not, he's barely getting by with work and he's sort of bumping up against the, the bottom level of the working class and trying to get in. And so, and the other, um, protagonist, the woman in the film is doing the same thing. Um, and so that is part of the story of this, you know, Bobby Thompson can skate by because he was once famous, but um, Amy, his, uh, the female protagonist in this movie, she can't, and she's really struggling. So both of them are actually, I guess you'd call it non-working, working class, right? So, Sometimes they yeah. talk about marginal communities, I think. Marginal, right. Yes. Yes, exactly. Well, 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 that's that's very interesting. That that really does, I feel like, fill in a hole. So, so tell me about this transition that you made, where uh, you know your years of watching film and your, and I guess your background as an artist as well uh, came together with, with the decision for you to uh, uh, pursue filmmaking. It had always been in the background, right? Probably the first time I saw those those Star Wars books I was talking about, I I, I considered doing something like that as a career. I was what, I think I was 15 years old at the time. So it was always sort of in the background. I'd go out and make little YouTube movies with my daughters. We'd, you know, always work on little film projects on the side, nothing major. And I had on the, in the local newspaper, there was an um, auditions were posted for the local film school. It's a Zachy Gordon film school uh, founded by Dan Gordon. He wrote hurricane and um, Wyatt Earp. He's a screenwriter. And so he started this film school and they would, it was kind of a guerrilla style boot camp film school that you went through in a year and you came out on the end with like a calling card, 20 minute short film. And I auditioned for this. I saw in the newspaper um, on audition for a Dungeons and Dragons mockumentary. And I used to play Dungeons and Dragons like crazy, love Dungeons and Dragons. So I thought this will be fun. I know this world. And I went and auditioned for this movie. I got a part. And the week of filming, it was like one of the best weeks of my life. It was so much fun. And it was, it was, I kind of came home after that experience. And I announced to my wife that I was quitting work and I'm going to film school. (laughs) We had two toddlers in the house at the time and that didn't go over so well. So I could have, you know, I could have done it. But at that time I said, yes, she's right. She's absolutely right that I couldn't do that. And so, um, but the bug, but I had been, the bug was there. I was, I was snagged and, um, yeah. And then as soon as, um, my kids were old enough, um, I was a single person. I started auditioning again and heading over to the film school and acting in their, their 20 minute short films. And while I was acting in it, I'm watching everything because what I ultimately want to do is shoot my own short film. So I'm watching how all this stuff is getting done. Yeah. Were you yeah. sitting in on the classes as well? No, no, it was all on set stuff. Like once, once it was launched, 
once they were in that twin where they, you know, the shooting section in the last half of the school year, I was, I was on set watching things go down. That's wild. Uh, All this so terminology I didn't understand, you know, and yeah, it was very interesting. Were, were you in general, uh, one of the older people on the set? Uh, yeah, in general, not the oldest, but one of the older people there. Yeah. You know, this was 20 year olds yeah. doing, their, doing their thing. So uh, it's uh, interesting that, you know, you, you become a director, but I, I really uh, think what really carries that hell of a heartache so much is, is your performance. So what, what were you uh, thinking as an actor in making these shorts? Um, yeah, I had acted in high school um, and uh, that was fun. I had gotten a lead role in a play when I was a freshman and all the senior thespians hated me, but I, um, I think it was don't Woody Allen's don't drink the water was the play. <laughs> um, and so I was acting in high school and, um, you're the Jackie uh, Gleason role from the film. I yeah. Think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, um, uh, I did that kind of stuff in high school and then went to film school. I knew I could do a little bit of acting because of that experience. It was theater acting. So I thought I'll go try, try out and sort of, learned a lot of things along the way you can see how you look on a film right in with digital film is all digital so you'd shoot a scene and they turn the camera around and you could see what you look like and how you're behaving and how stiff you looked or you know and you could hear how your line is actually delivered and so that was really helpful to start seeing like oh film is so different than theater the slightest emotion on your face like is blast out there on film when in theater you've got to you got to really emote and make these exaggerated expressions so learning to tone things down and um yeah it was very helpful the most helpful thing was being able to watch instantaneously you know right after doing the scene what 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 it all looked like right So, so as you uh, were building up to this idea of uh, making your own feature, uh, were you, uh, I mean, were you, were you consciously crafting this as a feature to, to show off uh, yourself? As an actor? As an actor, yeah. No. <laughs> it was, the idea was uh, to get someone to come in to be Bobby Thompson. I had a couple people definitely in mind and uh, had, I couldn't really find anybody. Everybody's, you know, working around here and in, in this area and couldn't find anybody who could commit to two weeks of day in and day out filming. And uh, so I had to basically do it myself and I was fine with that. Like, okay, we'll see how this goes. And so I, I hopped in myself to do it, but it definitely was more, I wanted the freedom to just direct acting and directing was a little much <laughs> you're so. so perfectly cast in it though that, that that's uh, cool you know from the yeah. opening moments I've, i have no doubt that it, you are uh, uh, exactly who the character reveals themselves to be you know that's yeah it took a while to get there but thank you i think writing the script too i started identifying with this guy a lot more and you know had, had an idea of what i wanted to see so yeah uh, on the surface, one of the things the film is is really a, about is is alcoholism. Mm -hmm. uh, I wondered, 
how you wanted to portray that in this film and, and what decisions you made on how to how to address this uh, you know serious issue sure like uh so it's affected my family in some way alcoholism um in some ways a heavy drinking at, at the very least and i myself after divorcing went through about a year of bobby thompson isms you know i was i was sort of doing that myself partying pretty hard and chasing girls and all that kind of thing. And so it, I guess I didn't want to treat it lightly. I didn't want him to end up like going to AA and sitting in meetings and that kind of thing. I wanted to uh, show him struggling with it and using it as a coping mechanism for, you know, episodes that had happened in his past with his mother and just sort of not having to deal with life, get a job. He just was covering it all up. He could skate by because he was at one time famous and he'd get away with stuff. So uh, tell me about how you put the, the cast together and, uh, you know, put this production together uh, during its shooting period. We had all been involved in the Zachy Gordon Institute, the film. And so I had acted in a lot of their films, got to know a group of people, and we had always wanted to shoot a feature film. It was kind of like, like the murmur amongst all the students at, at the film school. Um, year after year was like, and someday I'm going to shoot a feature and someday I'm going to shoot a feature. That was just kind of the vibe that everyone wanted to do. And I got that fever and wanted to do it also. And so did um, the people I was working with. And I'd worked with them a lot. It was very comfortable with them um, to the, And so we started shooting short films together um, that were turning out not so bad. Right. And we, we kept doing that and just sort of honing the craft and um, dialing things in a little bit more to the point where we could, kind of read each other's minds on the set, you know, knowing that, you know, the kind of things that the Vic would, how she would set up her framing for the, um, for the scenes, you know, there would definitely be a fog machine there. You know, you just got to get to know, like, like your, the people you're working with. And at some point we realized that we could probably shoot a feature film. And then um, we had to come up with a script and so we began writing and um, I sort of tossed it around everybody. And we eventually we got a script that we, we thought was pretty good. I think it was only about 70 pages long. We, we knew that we could improvise and edit it into a full length feature film, basically from that point. And then I uh, raised a little money. I think we had like $10,000 that I actually spent on filming the movie. And we jumped right in. We just started, picked a date got our cameras, got our lenses, and, and there we went. Uh, one of the difficult things about uh, uh, directing uh, a, a film with, with uh, children is uh, that it's, you can only have them on the set so long and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you got a, an incredible performance out of uh, Gen- uh, the name uh, Genesis Van Paris. Is that her name? Yeah, that's her name. Yep. Yeah! Well, wow! What a performance! And uh, tell me, tell me what went into the, finding her uh, for your film. I agree um, on her performance. Absolutely. Well, her mom, Erica Van Paris, was cast first in the role of Amy, and um, I did have another person tentatively set up to play the daughter, and that person fell through, and so Erica said, "Hey, what about my daughter?" And so we did a reading together over a Zoom call and it was went really well. It was just she had a natural just way of, you know, 
uh, delivering the lines and it wasn't really forced and a little bit of humor in the way she was doing it. And, you know, just enough like um, honoriness to come through. And so I, um, we cast her and I, we didn't have that much longer to go until shoot date and we didn't do any rehearsals and we showed up on set. And the first scene, I should have done this differently. Uh, the first scene we did was one between her and I uh, with close-ups at the, at a table and, um, it was really stiff and, you know, we, we worked through it. Uh, I was stiff. She was, she was great. She was very relaxed, but I'm like, Oh, I got to get my act together here. But after that, we all kind of on the set breathed a sigh of relief. We were like, Oh, this is, I think this is going to work. And each time we shot a scene, we got closer and closer and closer until even on set, it was like a family. Like she didn't want to leave to go back to, she had to go to school on weekdays. She's like, no, I want to stay with you guys. So it was, we, it was really fun. Everybody fell in love with Genesis. She was great. And her mom was there the whole time, sort of acting as a manager and a mom at the same time. So that was very helpful, right? And we didn't have to have a teacher on set because she was just coming up on the weekends. And working around that was a little tricky, just being able to film her parts on the weekends. So I think that we had four total days that we could shoot Genesis uh, parts. It was tricky. <laughs> and the truck, the truck was a, a character also <laughs> in its own right, right? That's like the cowboy's horse, maybe. Where, 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 where did you find the truck? Who's oh, that was a cool, that was cool. Me and Vic were driving around trying to scout some locations. And that's my DP, the DP for the film. And we drove past this gas station and there was this beat up blue, beautiful truck. And I pulled over to the gas station. I knew the guy who was uh, running this gas station. And I said, who owns that truck? And he said, ah, gave me, his name was Tony Francis. And I said, do you have his number? And he gave me his number. I called the guy and he was like, I think we paid him 500 bucks to use the truck for the movie. And he was just over the moon. He thought it was the coolest thing that we were using this truck in this movie. It turned out to be great. And it really did have a lot of problems. <laughs> it was stalling all the time and, you know, smoke was pouring out of it. It smelled like gas. It was like, it was, but it's just a perfect truck for, for the, for the lead character. Yeah. Oh, it's a, one of the things that really captured me about the film is just how finessed all the details are, you know, things like that, or, uh, you know, you could throw that away, the, the, the truck that he drives in, but, you know, you found a way to make that a, a memorable uh, touch in the film as well. Cool. Yeah. And I, yeah, yeah. I love uh, it actually someone else came up with the idea that she fixes the truck in the original script. He was working on the truck and, and, and fixed it, but he, someone else came up with the, you know, Sophia ends up being the one that knows how to work on engines. Bobby Thompson doesn't have a clue. Right. So that, that was a neat, neat idea. It seems like you had a very collaborative uh, set that you, and bringing this film to life. It was very collaborative. Like this definitely, I mean, I went in, <laughs> originally kind of going in like i'm an auteur going to be shooting this nah, that that got you know killed right away that was this was going to be collaborative and it had to be I, the people around me had too much knowledge that you know i'm such a late starter with this stuff i was winging a lot of it and so the crew they you know the crew they all knew how to to fill in and make things happen that i was visualizing but had no idea how to make happen myself so that was nice Definitely collaborative. This is, you know, it couldn't happen without everybody participating. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's part of the the strength of the film, really. Cool. Yeah.
actors too. I mean, they, most of the actors didn't, they weren't, nobody's getting paid, you know, maybe they got a sandwich. Uh, so it, it was, it was really fun though. I mean, it was such a great experience for me. I think we didn't have any major complications or, or drama, not a lot of drama on the set. We had some minor stuff here and there, but it somehow from working together for so long, it really, it really flowed. I guess if someone wanted to make their first film, I would say just make sure you've worked with the crew and the people in short films before doing it and really get, really get a tight knit group, you know, weed out those who don't fit and keep everybody who does. So when you uh, got this film together and, and, and got it edited, uh, what were your, uh, your thoughts on what you wanted to, uh, to do with the film? Uh, I was very critical at first, but I learned to warm up to it. Um, initially, we wanted to go. What were you critical about when you were critical? <laughs> I just saw every mistake. I saw like if my hair was, you know, I'd gotten a haircut at some point during the whole thing. If my hair was off by like a quarter of an inch, I'm like, oh, continuity. You know, I was doing that kind of thing throughout the whole damn thing. And so it was really hard for me to watch it at first. And eventually I calmed down and I, I was seeing things that most people just don't catch for the most part. Right. Uh, but our, initially our goal was to, uh, we had a very modest goal at first was to get it into the local film festival so that people who were involved in the movie could go see it. Right. That was sort of a very modest and get it in front of an audience a little bit. And then we were going to submit to the bigger festivals like South by Southwest. We weren't going to bother with Sundance, you know, maybe Slam Dance and things like that. We were going to just try to submit it to some of these Austin Film Festival, maybe that kind of set um, film festivals. And unfortunately, we got in. Well, it was fortunate we got into the Sedona International Film Festival. We premiered it. And a week later, COVID hit. And so this whole intention of uh, having it in film festivals just, you know, was blown out of the water. And that's half the fun is going to these film festivals. And it kind of just slowly, we did one online with the Arizona International Film Festival, which was fun. We did a fun interview with them. But then, other than that, it just sat on the shelf. And I mean, honestly, Dan, thanks to you, <laughs> it's sort of like, it's like it's gotten dusted off and we're like, well, okay, well, let's, let's, let's keep going. Right. And so, I mean, it sat there for three or four years, I think. Yeah. For, for me, it was quite a discovery. I mean, you, you're, you're uh, you were so humble in its presentation that, that uh, you know, I, I've seen a lot of uh, films at film festivals, you know, that, uh, you know, can sort of barely pull together the illusion of, of, of moving forward. <laughs> Um, so I, I, I went in, a, you know, not expecting a whole lot and was just really knocked out and, uh, a, a, a bit in disbelief. I, uh, you know, quickly, uh, rallied my wife to come watch it a second time with me. And, uh, uh, she, she wept. She, she was really moved and, uh, it's, it's quite a special little film. And I, I just think it's one that's really going to reverberate with, with audiences. And I'm excited to, uh, get it in front of people and uh, we have a screening coming up on december 8th uh, at the rotunda here in philadelphia and uh, I, i'm curious to uh, to see what a bunch of fresh eyes uh, take from it me too i really appreciate that by the way dan but i'm all i'm i'm eager to get you know see how it goes over and and try to get it in front of some other live audiences again here soon i don't i don't know where we'll go from here but um this is the start and i appreciate it very much 
what are are you uh, thinking about uh, other projects uh, in in the future? Um, like we're I'm working on a screenplay right now, maybe for another uh, feature film. That I'm tossing around a couple ideas. I mean, last time I talked, I told you it was maybe a, a fighter movie. You know, like an MMA fighter who's retired and out of shape, or but that's changing now. I was thinking of maybe a couple of other things, and so definitely I have these screenplay ideas rolling around and and starting to type up a little bit and delete type delete and start to come up with these stories hopefully something soon will click in and then we'll get another screenplay going and maybe pull the gang back together <laughs> it'd be nice to have more than ten thousand dollars but if that's what we have that's what we'll that's what we'll use if you were selling the remake rights to hell of a heartache to uh uh you know some big studio uh who who would you like to see them cast in the uh in the, in the uh, major studio remake. Holy cow. I haven't thought of that. That's pretty cool. Uh, uh, geez. Wow. I haven't even thought of that. Uh, who comes to mind here? Kevin Costner type, but you know, not really. Yeah, he's, you know. he's pretty old now, you know, he's still old for it now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. I'd have to think about that. I don't know who, who, who would play those roles. Um, yeah. I actually thought about approaching, this is going to be sound like a crazy idea, but Jason Isbell, you know, Jason Isbell. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the indie rock singer songwriter country. Yeah. And he is always um, mentioned on his Twitter feed and stuff, wanting to act and be in the movies. And I thought I should just send this by him and see what he thinks. Um, I don't have any idea how to get a hold of him. Um, but I always pictured something like an actual country music artist, who's maybe like kind of pretty and you rough them up and let them, let them explore. Steve Earle would have been good. I think oh, if, yeah. in his younger days, I sort of pictured him different, way different than the, my Bobby Thompson, but yeah, there's, yeah, just stuff like that. Oh, that, you know, that really makes sense. This would be a great vehicle for some, uh, you know, first film for some young uh, country and Western star. Yeah. That's what I was, what I was thinking about. Like if some miraculously got a, enough money to reach out to one of those guys or you know that's maybe so maybe maybe the next one <laughs> uh it's funny when i when i watched the film uh you know a, a couple times it kind of struck me like oh the french would love this film <laughs> and uh, <laughs> i i think like oh and and they would really see this film as being uh you know in the western tradition that uh you know once you have an american and put him in a cowboy hat Right. Uh, you know, that that somehow this is a uh, look at the current psyche of uh, the modern day cowboy. Right. Uh, and then when I thought of the film, I thought, oh, my goodness, it really does have, uh, you know, the uh, w- the uh, young woman in peril and uh, mm-hmm. the, the flawed hero. And there there even is a bit of a showdown at the end there. Right. And <laughs> I thought that was we've talked about this before. I just thought that was an amazing observation. Um, I have to admit it wasn't intentional. But yeah. you know, oh, go ahead. No, because go. it's not intentional, I thought that was even more proof how intentional it was. <laughs> <laughs> that story is so psyched into our psyche that uh, you know right. that it can't help but uh, fall into it in some way, even though it's you know very. Uh, it's I, not any sort of cliche, uh, you know, self-conscious way in the film at all. Nice, I can see that. Well, I mean, I think if you take like Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey. And you put the the hero in a cowboy hat, and you give the bad guy a gun, 
and there's a girl to rescue. You're right. You know, once I started thinking about it, I'm like, that, that's right. Like it, it fits that journey and the, the whole thing is right there. So, um, you know, the hero's journey was obviously part of the planning on it. Yeah. But, uh, and, and yet it really works against, uh, you know, all that sort of macho thing as well. It really is, uh, much, it's about a, a character really in the modern world in a lot of ways, the modern world of sexual dynamics and the post me too world and all that, mm-hmm. all that thing. And, and I like the fact that rather than sort of, uh, going back to some sort of steel guitar score to underline the whole thing, to sort of give it that romance, uh, it's got a, a much more of an electronic feel, the score that you use. That was conscious. Yeah. I talked to, um, Brendan Rancon who did the score, you know, we brief, I briefly, mold around with this uh the the moon dog is his name who wrote the the title song the hillbilly heartbreak uh with him playing an acoustic score behind everything and you're exactly right like i didn't want it to drift into like this is a country western movie right i wanted it to be separate from from that genre in some ways and and that's why we picked the electronic um movie it just sounded best was able to lend a lot of mood and the ambient background stuff was nice in some point so that was a a decision to do that to break it away from sort of a cliche i think Uh, i'm really glad that we're going to have you here in philadelphia for the screening i should uh i should hype that that you're you're going to be here to introduce the film and uh take some q a afterwards Uh, and uh you're going to see some sights in philadelphia as well aren't you (laughs) I am. I've, we're doing the, you know, the whole uh, Philly cheesesteak thing. And um, I'm going to go to a Flyers game. I got tickets pretty much against the glass there. I, I wish they had a little bit of, not to diss any, you know, this, but they, I wish they had a little bit of better record. I think they're a little under 500 right now. So that's yeah. okay. I'd uh, love to have seen a, a Philadelphia uh, Eagles game. Those guys are. The, the, the Philadelphia's really been soaring with Philly, uh, with the, uh... The sports teams of the Phillies in the in the World Series and yeah, the, oh yeah, the Sixers looking promising early on, but I think they're uh, struggling right now. But yeah, the Flyers are, are not the high point of Philadelphia sports right at the moment. Right, yeah, but I'm still going to the game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, you're, you're right in the middle of uh, yeah <laughs> of the world of South Philadelphia. There, I can't wait. I'm going to hit Independence Hall and Liberty Bell and all all that stuff. The Rocky Steps. Um, <laughs> at the at the art museum so yeah i'm gonna try to try to hit as much of that i can great great yeah yeah well thanks a lot rob i think we uh we'll wrap things up here and i'm looking forward to uh, seeing everybody come out of the screening once again it's on uh december 8th at the rotunda at uh, uh 40th and walnut in philadelphia right on the uh, philadelphia of uh, the university of pennsylvania campus there and uh we're very excited to uh, put this film in front of people and rob's gonna fly all the way out so we want to make sure that we have a nice uh, full house of people that are going to appreciate uh this incredible work that he's done uh thanks so much rob Dan, thank you so much and because of you this thing's getting dusted off the off the shelf here and uh we're gonna make another movie i i might have i might have quit and so i appreciate you you're a good guy thank you let's hope it's one of many uh, we'll talk we'll talk <laughs> cool one two three four and that's it for this episode of fun to know thanks to rob for being his genial charming self and i hope you can join us december 8th at the rotunda in philly for a screening of burson's hell of a heartache find details on the bright bulb screening series facebook page 
Thanks to artist and polymath Stephen Erdman for pushing me to return to this podcast. And you can also hear me spin jazz and beyond Mondays at noon on WPRB Princeton. You can check out past shows at our Fun to Know podcast page on Facebook and check back again for the next episode of Fun to Know. We're free, I tell you. So wake up. It's time.